Howdy Cozy Zone friends, Ben Weber here. Thank you so much for all of your listens, your good vibes, and your sweet feedback on our Cozy Zone revival. The Patreon is off to a lovely start. Thanks so much to our very first Cozy Zone members. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Sage. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Dad. Visit www.patreon.com slash Projects to support the artists of Cozy Zone and to get access to exclusive members-only content for just $5 a month. Our guest today is Drew Peterson, a theater maker, playwright, musician, and educator. He teaches at the Park Avenue Armory and the New Victory Theater and is the artistic director of Trusty Sidekick Theater Company. That's a company that creates high-quality, original work for young audiences and their families. Drew's work has played at Lincoln Center Education, the Kennedy Center, Classic Stage Company, Abrams Art Center, and the Wallace Annenberg Center in Beverly Hills. He is the 2018 and the first recipient of the National TYA USA Artistic Innovation Award. Before we get to Drew, I want to introduce you to Ms. Victoria Steinbeck, one of the trustees of the Cozy Zone Foundation. I traveled to her palatial home in Great Neck, New York, where I was granted an audience in her opulent acupuncture room. Hello. Hi, Miss Steinbeck. Thank, thank you so much for seeing me. I, well, oh, you're, you're getting acupuncture, it looks like. Yes, yes. It's, uh, it's seven days a week. I, I have a little room in my house. So uh, Timmy can just come to me. Timmy. Oh, hi, hi yeah, Timmy. No, this, is, this is Timmy. Oh, hi. He's very handsome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. What, um, what is Timmy working on today for you? Well, I have a strange uh, spinal spur. It's been sort of growing, but because of Timmy's amazing work, it's, it, it, it doesn't bother me so much as long as I have my, my daily acupuncture. Great. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to sort of get, I'm going to put, put the mic sort of through the face hole so uh, I can hear you a little better. First of all, thank you so much for being a part of the Cozy Zone Foundation. Oh, yeah. it, it means so much to 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 me, to all of our guests, to the great projects that we'll be commissioning uh, because of your your generosity. Oh, yeah. I love the arts. As somebody who I really came up in the Barry world, uh, I, I really appreciated the colors of, of the amazing produce that, that I was surrounded by, but I was never really an artistic person. And um, I've just always been really interested in, in people that sort of see beyond uh, what's right in front of them. Now, we, when you say the berry world, mm. what does that mean? Your, you, your family dealt in berries? We came up in, yeah, a small berry fortune. My berry fortune, well, it, uh, it started with my mother, who, uh, who inherited a small farm. And, and I don't know if you know this, but, but berries can sometimes sort of be like an invasive species. They just, you plant some, and then they just keep on growing. Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so off of these invasive berries, we uh, we uh, we we decided to um, let's capitalize on that. Which which do you find to be the most invasive berry? Most invasive, I would say, boysen. 
boysenberry. Yeah, boysen. So they just get everywhere and they yeah. take over. Yeah. They, they take over everything that they touch. Yeah, it's amazing. You just plant some sort of, you know, in any kind of environment, and next thing you know, they, they kind of sort of kill everything else, and you have a, a sweet uh, berry orchard. Wow. You were a, a berry heiress, but mm-hmm. then you moved on to a different type of organic produce. We put together a, a brand that uh, we, we call Let's Do Organic. Let's do organic. Yes. I've heard of that. There's like a small pause. There's a, there's, there's three dots. Oh, an ellipse. Yeah. So let's do organic. Yes. Looks like you have, oof, I, I don't, I don't know if I can count, but perhaps a hundred, over a hundred needles in your body right now. I mean, yeah, you'd have to ask Timmy, but uh, he, he really works magic. Timmy's nodding. Okay. Uh, about yeah. over a hundred. Mm. Can you give us an exact figure? Tim, Timmy's just shrugging. Um, that's all right. <laughs> He's so modest. Okay. Yeah. How long does it take for him to put all these needles in your body? Um, well, usually we, we set aside three hours in the morning and then just one hour at night. Wow. So twice a day you, mm. oh, yeah. you get acupuncture mm-hmm. seven days a week. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard you know, living with the spur, but uh, but I, I, with Timmy's help, I've uh, I've really sort of, I, I feel like a survivor. Yeah, you you are you are a survivor. Can you tell us if if it's not too personal how you came to have this spine spur? The spine spur, um, it's it's something that uh, my mother also had, uh, and you know it might have something to do with with bending down to to pick the berries Mm. in in the first sort of years when we didn't have a lot of help. I'm not a creative person, but my spine maybe wants to sort of be creative, move in different directions. Uh, It's like expressing a a sort of creative impulse that I don't have myself. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. You have a proposal for a public art project Mm. to, to share with us. Yes, yes, it is a roundabout. It's a sculpture for a roundabout. Um, at 128th Avenue and Cook Circle in uh, the city of Thornton, Colorado. Wow. Okay. Mm. That sounds good. What what inspired you to to connect us with this project? Well, well, as I've, I've sort of been saying, Timmy's changed my life so much, and Timmy's from Nevada. And uh, when I when I heard about this project that was so close to Timmy's homeland, I. Uh, I, I just wanted to, to give back in, in some way to this, this beautiful place that, that gave me somebody who uh, has made my life so much more beautiful. Ms. Steinbeck, your generosity knows no bounds. <sighs> That's so beautiful. You, uh, you also are going to uh, potentially release some funds uh, if you approve of the project that we devise. So I, I would like to uh, put up $2.62 million. $2.62 million. Oh, wonderful. What mm. what inspired you to, to come up with this figure? I've been thinking a lot about bridges. Um, and uh, that would be because of, of bridges of love, bridges of trust, and um, bridges of friendship. And then I, I did a little bit of research, or uh, Timmy did it for me, the daily earnings of the tolls at the George Washington Bridge. Hugh L. Carey Tunnel. The last one is 1.14 million. Uh, that's collected daily at the Verrazano Bridge. Amazing. Yeah. 
Okay, that's that's really cool. Mm. I, I didn't know that. Well, that's that's a beautiful figure, extremely generous. <sighs> uh, do you have a sense of sort of what portion of like 2.62 million is from your net worth? Just just so we have kind of an understanding. Well, uh, you know, I don't like to, to really talk so much about that. Of course. But, but um, we can just say it's it's just just one small berry from the basket. Wow. Okay. So we're going to go away and I'm going to find a creative collaborator. We're going to go into their cozy zone and we're going to devise uh, a project inspired by this budget and these parameters of this uh, uh, call for entries. And we're going to we're going to bring back to you our our final project. And then you'll you'll have a listen and see what you think. Oh, yeah. Sorry. What? Oh, yes. Sorry. I. I'm a little distracted by by uh, uh, Timmy's taking out some of the needles, but yes, that's that sounds amazing. Great, there there are so many needles. Oh yeah. Well, okay, I'll I'll leave you to it. Oh good, Miss Steinbeck. Yeah, good thank luck. you so much. Thank you. Yeah, and I'll 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 see you a little later. See you soon. Drew Peterson. Hello, Ben Weber. Welcome to your cozy zone. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here on Cozy Zone. I'm so happy to be sitting here with you in this zone. Can you tell us about where we are right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. And I'm so thrilled to be sitting here with you in this zone as well. And and oh. and particularly because it's you. It's so exciting. Oh. So happy to share this with you. <laughs> so we are sitting in the cellar of Beecher's Cheese Shop on 20th and Broadway in Manhattan. In the cellar is it's the downstairs bar and uh, an eatery, if you will. And they have cheese and other things. But um, I can't remember how I was switched on to this place. It's got to be half a, half a decade ago or so. But I've kept finding myself coming back here and uh, spending little bits of time or longer bits of time doing creative projects or even just coming because I like the vibe. And so we're sort of sitting in a sepia-washed bar and restaurant that isn't very big, but has a sort of brick-like <laughs> catacomb-esque quality with the candles around. That makes it sound a little darker than it is, but uh, a little industrial rustic, and uh, and uh, but welcoming, not uh, disconcerting in any way, I think. Um, and that's where we are right now. I love that. So right behind me is like a entire wall of aging cheese rounds yeah there seems to be and I, I they could probably tell us which kind but you can see different uh there's just stacks of what looks like different layers of wedding cakes almost mm. yes um and they are sitting here just aging because uh you can buy or purchase beecher's cheese they have a shop in seattle as well it doesn't have a restaurant but you can buy it in grocery stores and around new york and here in various cheesemongers around the city and they do it is very good cheese actually um but they have the aging process uh, on display. And upstairs, you can look in through the glass and watch how they make cheese right in the large vats and curds and all kinds of stuff. So it's really, I, I'm not, I have no real home sort of deep-rooted uh, affinity for cheese. I, I like it, but uh, I know people that like live and die by it. Um, but I, so I don't know what keeps bringing me back here in terms of the cheese factor, but uh, but I do enjoy it. I, I like the, the place and I like that it's, subverting the idea of what like a classy bar might, and a creative space might be a cheesemongering business. I really hear you. I, I myself do feel like I have like an ancestral sort of link to cheese yeah. being from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yep. And like, we are so serious about our cheese. This is probably the ultimate Wisco wedding venue, you know, just like the, the honoring the great spirit of cheese. <laughs> We're drinking these very beautiful 
cocktails right now. Yeah. What is it? The uh, it's a, a winter fashion. Winter so it fashion. Seems to be a, a play on an old fashion. Oh yeah. Um, but with uh, I think just some some winter flavors in there as well. Like let's see, um, uh, cinnamon and black walnut. So like a, a little bit. Uh, I guess in the spirit of the autumnal and wintry season, you can get lost in a sipping a, a whiskey cocktail and you're not quite sure what time it is and you're kind of okay with that. You know, so it feels, it feels, it feels right. A- absolutely. And right now it's like so nasty outside. Yeah. My legs are still wet from yeah. coming to meet you here. And like, this is sort of the, uh, what a like beautiful, like warm hug of cheese and candles and whiskey uh, to, to welcome us here. Yeah, there's so many places I feel like you go into, uh, particularly on like cold New York days where the door swings open and shut so many times that if you're on the, the, the sort of ground level of it, no matter where you are in the restaurant or the store, you're like, I'm, I'm so cold and there's just no way to warm up. And this is one of those places where you don't, every time the door swings open, you don't feel the elements. Whenever I work on a theater show or something, you want to introduce people to the world and sort of drop them into it, but like kind of block out the rest of the real world so i always am reminded um you know when i'm at places where like the cold air comes bursting and i'm like oh that's right it's it's december 30th and it's pouring rain and it's freezing outside and i gotta go back out there and like you're just thinking about that and so like this feels like a a reclusive sort of uh, immersion in some sort of walls of cheese and some flat iron goodness. I think that's like actually a pretty beautiful pearl of wisdom that you've already shared with us. If you're making live theater, you have to like do a little sensory deprivation, you know, before you you add something new. Yeah. I, I love that. It's a shame that more theaters in New York, I guess I'm thinking of mostly like big Broadway theaters, like can't do it. You know, you step in off the street and you're sort of kind of elbowing your way in and you get to your little small space in your chair and you can get lost in the action but it really doesn't do the best job of sort of shedding off the outside world for you it's a shame have you had like a theater experience where you've really been transported the ones that are coming to mind are things like uh, sleep no more of course and and uh i think of here lies love at the public it's a david byrne musical they moved the audience around it felt like a nightclub another show that really got me um was a show by a company called 600 Highwaymen called The Fever. They create like sort of theatrical situations uh, and have either the community is is witnessing them or involved in them. In this particular show, The Fever, the audience is pretty heavily involved, but it is it feels uh, like I, I've not been uh, I've not been involved in a show that had the audience mechanics like that uh, ever. And so done so simply and so effectively, and I was so struck and moved. I was like, "This is amazing!" In fact, when it was in Philly, I brought my my younger brother uh, and my old roommate, and then another friend who's more of a musician who doesn't see live theater. I was like, "You guys have to see this show." My brother Chris doesn't see that much theater as well. See some, um, and I brought them to it. And I was like, "I'm not going to tell you much about this." I had like done. I say done the show before because it feels like that. Like you've, you've kind of gone through it. So you sort of know what you're in for a little bit, but it was really special. I think those are the shows, uh, even like, even though the, the, the portal from, you know, from the doors of the theater to the space, it wasn't like they did anything crazy profound. Here Lies Love did a little more, but I, something about the spirit and the heart of the show just completely had you, you had to be present and alert and pitched up. And uh, uh, yeah, it was really powerful. What, what kinds of things would happen in the show? Funnily enough, we both do educational theater and it we felt do. a lot of the, felt like a lot of the best practices in, 
in educational theater and like uh, uh, facilitating an audience. Mm. So simple, simple, even movement gestures. The very first moment of the show, you're just sitting in a square with all these other audience members. You don't. We're all facing each other. It's one row. There's probably 55 people there. Um, you know, and the furthest away you are from someone, is call it 30 feet, right? Like it's it's a, sitting around a not even a half court of a basketball court, you know, uh, and somebody um, who is involved in the show starts just this simple hand gesture and just continues it and um, sort of looks at the people next to them and they pick it up and then suddenly the whole square is doing it. You never felt like you weren't taken care of. It was really special. I think if I walk out saying like, I've never seen or heard or touched any, anything like that before, even if it wasn't very good, <laughs> I... I feel like it was worthwhile. I yeah. think that's, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm also much, I'm realizing I'm much more forgiving to like sort of the, the visual art sort of vocabulary. I came to New York. I don't know if you knew this to like become a performance I artist. Did. I, did. I guess it's going yes, okay. It yeah. uh, there's this I, artist, Tino Segal. He creates like, he, I think he calls them constructed situations, but they mostly exist in visual art places. I was actually reading an article about him the other day where they, purchased one of his works, but his works are completely human-based ephemeral. Um, e even arguably, like, they're not choreography. They're like, I know he did one of the Guggenheim where you walk up the, uh, the, the, the rotunda, but as you walk, you at the bottom, you're walking with a young person and they're talking to you. Then the people get older as you keep going. Finally, at the top, you're with this elderly person and they're not, it's not a performance, it's not a play, but they're just asking you questions and no two are the same, but there's one he has. I saw one, we stumbled upon one at the Tate Modern in Britain, just hundreds of people running through Turbine Hall back and forward. And then kids started doing it, other people started doing it. You're like not sure who's a part of the show. How did you like begin making stuff? And what did that look like? What did little little artistic Drew look like? Yeah, uh, so it's funny. My first uh, form is music. And then I, I'll never forget one morning, my older brother Eric went over, was not home and we shared a room. And, it's probably nine o'clock in the morning and the phone rings at my parents' house and it's uh, my brother uh, calling from across the street, literally. Drew, come over, we're gonna start a band. Um, and that was a weird sentence. I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, it, it would be like me calling you and be like, Ben, we're going to start a volleyball league. Come on over. And you're really like, what? Um, so we go over and, and, and we're 13 years old or so, 13, 14 years old. And yeah, we want to start a band. Uh, okay, well, we got we should, somebody. We should get a guitar, I guess. And at the time, we were like skateboarding out, and you know, like we were like little skateboard kids, and that was fun. Uh, and we somehow managed the next day to grab, get our hands on a, a an electric guitar and an amp. And there, it was laying on John Burling's bed the next day. I guess this was Sunday morning, and look us looking at each other, like, all right, who's gonna play it? Like, who's gonna play this thing? Um, and our friend John was like, oh, I know me. I'm not gonna stick with it. I'm gonna give it up. And my brother Eric was like, I, I guess I'll do it. Funnily enough, he was like making a choice that would inform the rest of his life, you know. Um, and shortly thereafter, I picked up the bass guitar and we started these bands with kid, kids in our middle school and our first band called The Implants. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> but we had all these songs, we were writing songs in the basement. It's funny, like one of the members of that band is, went on to start other very popular rock and roll group. And um, my older brother and I ended up, cre and, and uh, that band disintegrated and we made this punk band called The Orphans. So there we were. 14, 15 years old, and God, we, it was very sweet. 
was a punk show at the local like rec center and all of the orphans that was the name of our punk band the orphans happened to be in town down the jersey shore and we were like hey can we like you know play four songs between the other bands going on and then there so the orphans jump up on other people's instruments and play four songs and these guys these very sweet guys who ran a record label in Westchester Pennsylvania called Creep Records they're like you want to come record on our label and so we were like these little kids on a record label where they, they we recorded to tape in their basement um, it was a recording studio but it was a dump like a punk house it was amazing and we cut a seven inch vinyl so I still have it it was like I, I remember we were going to record the first time and uh, it was a snow day and none of us drove we were too young to drive we were like we're not going to be able to record, record the album today because nobody can drive to the to the recording studio because we were too young to drive and the second time we recorded i was still so young i had poison ivy on my arms from like being <laughs> in the woods like that it was amazing so my first love like getting into making things was this funny negotiation with f me and three other young men trying to figure out how to make a band and play songs in our basement which was actually really an interesting exercise in collaboration and like I mean, you're you do music, and so you know, like the amount of discipline it takes, and like how immediately formative it is when something sounds good. And so, I wouldn't. Tra I I don't know how like theater. I was always, I guess, a funny theatrical second child. It was interesting, but like, so I slowly found my way to theater. But I still do love music and do music, and it's amazing. But I think the discipline of music and also like the collaborative nature of, and DIY nature of starting a punk band with your little your friends and your brother is so. I, I, I credit a ton of my creativity to those moments. And some of it was so ridiculous and bad. I was reading about it the other day. Someone had written some article about the orphans. Apparently our first show, the first time we ever played a, an official show, after our second song, the show was broken up by the police. Like cops came and broke the show up, which like as a 14 year old kid, even like cops coming into the yard or the basement or wherever we were, like being like, get, get the hell out of here, you know? I was like, oh yeah, like I was like, that's really funny. So I guess from early on, I was sort of was like this maker of bizarre or avant-garde weird things that are slightly dangerous things like, oh, at any moment the, the, the authorities could come in and say, get out, this is a fire hazard, you know? Um, so I think I owe a lot of my creative life to that, those moments being in the basement of, um, you know, Western suburbs of Philadelphia, like playing punk rock music. That, yeah. What, what instruments did you play? So I played the bass guitar. I started on the bass guitar. And then uh, when my older brother, Eric, went out to college, he left his electric guitar. So I just picked it up because it was there. And then my younger brother, Chrissy, uh, in all this time, too, picked up the drums. So there was a drum set at the house. So suddenly when these instruments are laying around, you just play them or, or you, you're like, let me let me play it and see what happens. And so I, I took bass guitar lessons, but then self-taught on the guitar and the drums and the mandolin and so, so now like I bought, I got a lap steel not long ago and play, playing with that and so but I, I feel like primarily guitar drums bass guitar seem to be my, my real I can I can do really well on those so like I'm a good I'm a good session guy like if you need like someone holding down like great you're, you played a band like you got songs i'll come in you know and it's great i but i, I love being part of the rhythm section because it's so important but it's also so like people nobody wants to be the bass guitar player you know like and so if you got to find a good bass guitar player it's it's hard to find so it's a lot of fun why implants why orphans oh my god so uh, the implants i i fully know the answer to that which is a little embarrassing we here we were 14 year old kids who were boys going to an all boys school being like, <laughs> this will be funny. The implants. Um, and it was, that was it. I think that the orphans, I seem to recall that the orphans name came out of a, 
uh, my parents subscribed to Newsweek, the magazine at the time, and one of the articles, maybe it was a cover article, came through, um, and and there's something about the, you know blah, blah blah the orphans, blah, yeah, it was in an article, and Eric, my older brother, was like, that's kind of an interesting name. We were all like, that is pretty cool, um, and so of course our punk rock selves, the O in orphans has sort of two slashes and a that are like angry eyebrows and an unhappy sort of V upside down V face slash and it's like it looks like a pissed off face so that was the band um and we got many of this I know Eric wrote a lot of the lyrics for the songs uh based on like Newsweek articles and things that he was angry about or thinking about in the mid 90s you know like grunge days and there was I remember there's a song that we have called Big Brother Bigger Mother where it's about a drug test that you could conduct on your kids by with a cloth that you could wipe it across their desk and it would show up a certain color if they were smoking pot at the time. So we have a song called Big Brother, Bigger Mother about that. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's like fun, angry, angsty, youthful punk rock in the days of like grunge. Like right when it was, it, we, we hit it in the right time. I guess con context was big. How do you know a piece these days is working? I still don't quite understand where ideas come from. I compared like artistry and content and project or ideas, I think I compared ideas to like sicknesses. It's straight like the like there, there are these there are these things that come up and they sort of infect you. They 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 don't go away. You can't sweat it. You can't. It's a fever you can't sweat out. So you and and and, and I think that's a sign of a really good idea because it keeps haunting. It keeps and and it, it might just it might it be in a, a remission for a little while and then it comes back and it, it you know but um, it keeps haunting you until you I think sort of sort of shake the demons out of it nothing i've done is ever like fully autobiographical yet there's a ton of me inside of it but like stitching the strange big fish kind of abstract shadows of pieces way it's interesting yeah. you know i dream about making like a solo show about all like these sort of bizarre twists and turns of my life there's so much fear for me i think around really talking about who I am yeah. in art. It's funny. I now I'm like thinking about like the the, the Ben Weber show, you know, and what that <laughs> what that is. And also like I, I so appreciate uh I and I love that your interest in like sort of subverting form and messing with form and and you know and it's funny when I when I think of you I think of this like foundational support in terms of a creative project comes to mind, even though you might not always feel that way. But like, I feel like Ben Weber is like, if we bring Ben onto a project, he's like consistently, he's he's going to be that and pre present good ideas and you know produce great work and great ideas and thought and content and artistry and it's amazing, and and what the you know, but also how um, captivating and inviting you are as a person are you you remind me of like. Uh, the, the warmness of home. So if I, if I was making the Ben Weber show, I would, I would like, I could see, uh, I'd heard about a show, something like this before where the show is actually like, and you can stop me at any point. If this isn't interesting. No, no like, thank you. you know, no, please, <laughs> I could, please continue. I, I would, I was like, I, like if it was a, a show where uh, you go to Ben, I'm using the word Ben because maybe it's not you. Maybe it is someone someone playing someone like you or maybe is the character's name is Ben or maybe not like maybe it's if they were saying this is a theater piece but like we go to a house a home and you ring the doorbell and it's one audience member at a time and Ben lets you in and essentially you move throughout his spaces at various iterations possibly of his life or maybe of his adult life like and you the, the show is this uh, 
you, you realize like you you're, you're going through your relationship uh, with Ben throughout maybe a series of years or a series of moments and but it's only for one person at a time because you have this wonderful ability to make it feel like uh, uh, that you're the you're the only person in the room that you make me feel like I'm the only person in the room so like what if there was a show where where truly the audience member is the only person in the room and you are following Ben like you're with Ben or whoever that character is it's it's, it's kind of interesting to think about Thank you, Drew. I don't know. That's interesting. I love. I, I love that. It's uh, it's interesting and it's very generous. That's so nice. I love that. I, I love that so much. Thank you. For me, I think the Drew magic power that I I perceive is your ability to be kind of down to earth and humble and grounded in these extremely impressive situations like you you do work uh, at the park avenue armory which for me is an extraordinarily imposing <laughs> like stage yeah. first of all i mean it's this gigantic uh, drill hall yeah. that is filled with these like unbelievably high budget pieces of theater and you know you do projects there and, and the way that you talk about the projects that you do there is just like it sounds so mundane this is just another place to work right. like yeah. There is no difference between like a small little, you know, basement of a synagogue and this like unbelievably regal place. I think it's funny. I I appreciate so much you say that. It's funny. I think over the years, I think it's been somewhat conscious, too, of like trying to, uh, you know, and maybe it has something to do with making theater for young people. Like there's no I don't feel compelled to be thrust forward and be the first person to speak or even name and lights. I just, I actually like, I find so much joy in like um, creating a situation, a theatrical situation, and then sort of sliding back into the shadows. I was once at a place like this. It wasn't this place where I was sitting there having a, doing some work like writing or something. And a, a couple next to me was talking about the show, the trusty sidekick shows. And they didn't know I was a part of it. And um, they were talking about up and away. And they were talking about this other show we had made. And I was like, this is bizarre. And then um, once with some colleagues of ours, someone congratulated a colleague on the show they were in. They're like, congratulations. It looks so beautiful. Un un unaware that I had, project letter written the show and I was like this is awesome like it's it's really fun to set up a situation to let other people feel successful um, because in TIA there's there's something selfless about it inherently anyway someone said you can't you can't immerse people uh, in a contemporary setting because they're already immersed in it like I can't create an immersive theater show set in 2019 mm. because we already live in 2019 mm. I and like so I was like that's really interesting so like what does that mean like does that mean and I, I immediately thought about it in terms of generational time frames so like what's the what how how far do you have to go back to truly provide like an escape from our reality to another world like and now currently I think of like the 1980s as like you could make a theater show that's like all like think of like Stranger Things is a good example of how much we're like so wrapped up in it yet like if that show had come out maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago would we have been so interested if you were to like take over the artistic world like what what is your what does the reign of Drew Peterson look like <laughs> I was talking to our dear friend um, 
Jonathan about this the other day, who's uh, uh, Jonathan Schmidt Chapman, if you're listening to this, who will actually be here later. And he's just such an incredible mind in the TYA realm. And I, I often uh, thinking about things in theater for young people or, or even what I've been calling recently, like theater for all audiences, because when we go, I think a good theater show for young people or piece of culture for young people um, works for an adult too. Like, it's not like, oh, well, thanks. That was for the little kid, but you know, like I don't, I'm not interested in that. A town for a summer every two years or every year is is completely taken over by new commissioned progressive artistry that might not have a life beyond that festival. Some of it might, but much of it is completely an experiment at the commissioning whims of the artistic programmatic team of the festival. And the whole city, town, surrounds itself with and, 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 and sort of advocates for it. And I've been to the Manchester Festival like three times with the Armory, uh, which has been wonderful and lovely. And I've seen some crazy things and stuff that's completely wonderful. And the hair blows blows your hair back. And some that you're like, what is this? Like, how, how did somebody pay, pay for this? Like, what is it? And um, I just, I, there's something so attractive about that. So in an ideal world wouldn't it be fascinating if maybe not even in new york i think of like all the beauty and charm of like these up near upstate you know new york towns like hudson or beacon or kingston where you have these old you know industry buildings that are derelict and you what if you could have a festival of the most emergent work in the country that might not live on in this remote place that people had to go to not quite like burning man but like that that you it, like if you were going to let's call it the Kingston Festival you knew you were going to see people really be challenging themselves to make some of the most emergent artistry in the field and I think that also too comes out of like the why, why, why trusty psychic was born of like this real call to arms for like what is what is high quality United States based artistry for young people look like and it, it's weird I, I don't mean to get all like patriotic about it but there is something interesting about that to me like what does it mean to be an American making art now and for young people and what is it that place what is its place in the global uh, on the global stage I, I'm really interested in that so t you know <laughs> it's it's funny it's like not even world domination it's almost like the, the war at home lies within like carving a, a progressive identity and culture making for young people it feels like farm to table theater for young people like if you could create the stone barns of theater for young people uh, somewhere far away that people had to go to seek it out that seems so enticing and, and sexy and attractive to me it feels even if it wasn't good like people would come in they'd be like I don't know what that was but like <laughs> you know, people are trying things, you yeah, know, I love that. I think that's that is so sweet. Speaking of commissions <laughs> and uh, commissioning new work, uh, Drew, you know, I, I love our conversation so far, but we also have an opportunity here to uh, work together yes. to commission uh, a new work of public art. Uh, with funds from uh, the Cozy Zone Foundation. I love the Cozy Zone Foundation. Um, we've been given a, an extraordinary budget by one of their trustees. Um, this is a, a $2.62 million budget uh, to create a, a piece of public art. Um, and this comes from the daily income of three New York area bridges and tunnels. Uh, so that that's uh, $944,000 taken in from the George Washington Bridge every day. Uh, we got $1.14 million taken in from the Verrazano Narrows Bridge 
uh, every day yep. and uh, c- clocking in at uh, $540,000 uh, from the Hugh L. Carey Tunnel, formerly the Battery Tunnel. Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah very nice. So so with a, a whopping $2.62 million. Um, and I, I've been given a, a dossier here, actually. Um, <laughs> we can uh, take a look at. Yeah. So I'm seeing a... Uh, a design proposal, a call for artists called Roundabout at 128th Avenue and Cook Circle in the city of Thornton, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the details of this cohesiveness between the landscape and the artwork, um, creativity reflecting the history of East Lake community, and embody the values of agriculture, history, agrarian lifestyle, and wildlife. So it seems to be a commission around a uh, artistic commission around a town that's really bridging content and form to the location where it's made okay. and uh, uh, particularly in this town. What are you seeing in terms of the site? It looks like it's in a like a roundabout. It, it's definitely in a roundabout. It sort of looks almost like a Columbus Circle type looking thing where uh, a highway and another road just sort of major thoroughfares converge around 65 feet in diameter. Um, no height restriction to this proposal. Okay, that's good to Exciting. know. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, we have and some more pictures more, here. Some more pictures here. It's, it looks like a fairly rural area. It looks okay. like farmland and fields. And I'm seeing railroads, um, little fields of like looks like soy plants, churches, and old sort of mid-century buildings and uh, businesses. It, oh, it's like Americana at its most beautiful. Um, Perfect. Yeah. Thornton, Colorado. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of oh, that. Oh, my. Colorado. There's a lot of beautiful pictures charming, here. Charming. Just absolutely charming and delicious. Wow. Oh, wow. Great. I love it. 30 minutes on the clock. Uh, let's let's make a Cozy Zone Foundation project, Drew. So it is a rural place. Yeah. So, you know, what do we want to look at? We want to maybe see Thornton in the past. You know, old Thornton. We want to see uh, and maybe what what we could what, like what agriculture looked like or what community could look like. Yeah. Uh, just a first bad idea, just like a like a little model house with different rooms, um, sort of showing different maybe uh, eras of time. I see a field of wheat. Like, what if you walked into this space and this is an indoor space and there was just a field of wheat with like a, a hopper house off an Edward Hopper style house, totally, house totally. off in the distance, you know, like just very striking, uh, you know, or like, like almost like you're sort of, uh, like partying in a, out in the field, yeah. like, you know, like sort of bringing the harvest in kind of thing. There was an artist recently uh, featured at the shed. Yes. Yes. Um, who something similar. Yeah. Who yeah. did, who planted a field of wheat in Battery Park. Battery yeah. Park City. Yeah. Battery Park City. Totally. yeah. I, I there was a I believe it was a chef's table episode I was mm. watching about a I thought, I thought it was a guy who actually cooked southern style barbecue but I could be wrong who was who was really interested in diving into like how certain um, ingredients particularly vegetable ingredients like how how they got in the cuisine of Amer- the American cuisine like yeah. the reason why you're eating okra is because it found its way here. If okra isn't wasn't here, like it had to be brought here. And what yeah. does that mean? And like, yeah. what are the actual social and political ramifications of why you're eating the things you're eating? Which is really, I was like that. I never thought. Of. I was like, I never thought of like the idea that a that a something I'm consuming, you know, for sustenance would like not have been existed here already. So I wondered, like, could you tell a history simply through? 
uh, or a narrative simply through agriculture. I'm really liking this idea of like traveling through history based on agriculture. And you know how they have like various like labyrinths at like meditation centers yeah, yeah. that you sort of walk and you're particularly good for your walking yeah. meditation. And I wonder, like, I'm not exactly sure if this is like agriculturally or permaculturally sound, but having like concentric circles or, you know, some sort of maze kind of thing of different crops that, you know, w like there's like this subtle shift. It's interesting. Like I think of in some of these pictures, I'm seeing what appears to be like corn silos, like these mm. big silos that hold corn. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, uh, Jonathan and I actually were lucky enough to make a show at the United States Botanical Gardens, um, an immersive promenade show, funnily enough. Um, and it, it was such a beautiful gardens and very manageable in terms of where you're passing through their greenhouses, how you could Is see. in D.C.? In D.C., yeah, right on the National Mall. And uh, and their, I, what was the main room called? I think they called it the jungle, actually. And they had like royal palms inside. So the main greenhouse was quite large, but it was enclosed in a way, um, but conceptually and design-wise, it was interesting because the idea behind the landscape architecture of the jungle was that it was an old, it was like an old house that had been taken over by a jungle. Like, Ooh. so there were, sh there were inside the, the shades of where the growth was happening, you'd see old broken marble steps and broken mm. uh, banisters that oh, you couldn't access that. by the public, but you're like, why is... Why are these old marble, like banisters and stairs here? Like you get that wasn't a, a passageway for for pedestrians, but they they built the gardens to look like it look it's meant to look like a jungle took a house back over. Oh I wonder God. if there's like hearing about like nature overtaking, you know, architecture, colonial um, architecture feels really. I don't know. That's something I would could get behind. Yeah. I would want to say that. I would want. I would want, you know, nature to sort of come back at us yeah, you know it's kind of it's it's fun to think about and and um and also like just i it, it, is there a way that it provides closeness to the community and but also a, a step uh maybe into the town's past or yeah. the town's history or something along those lines or it's it it, it it asks us to look at ourselves and also you know it's so funny because botanical gardens or even you know agriculture in general I, th I, I feel like when I see it I look at it like it's so permanent and yet it's definitely not it grows it's ephemeral it, it dies it comes back it, you know and so you know I think uh, I, I think of like the horticulturalists and uh, botanists who curate actual living spaces um, you know what does that you know could you recurate the garden space depending on year or theme or right, right. something like that it's of course of so i'm also i'm looking at the history of thornton on wikipedia and thornton it says thornton consisted solely of farmland until 1953 when sam hoffman tr purchased a lot off washington street about seven miles north of denver the town he laid out was the first fully planned community in adams county and the first to offer full municipal services from a single tax levy including uh, recreation service and free trash pickup um, named in honor of former Colorado Governor Dan Thornton. Uh -huh. I'm also looking up Colorado agriculture. Yeah. And so we have cattle and calves, corn, wheat, hay, and dairy dominate as the centennial state's leading agricultural commodities. Um, so we also have bison, ostriches, emu, sunflowers, grapes, and mushrooms. At the armory, there's restoration happening across the rooms because it's a historic landmark and they're restoring the rooms about one by one. And the uh, architectural firm that's in charge of the restoration is basically 
their thinking behind it is it's really lovely actually they're trying to get the rooms back to they're not adding things to them they're getting them back to the time where they're in their most sort of gilded age glory which that sort of thing always strikes me as really powerful where you're like where you walk into a space where you're told like this is we tried to get it this is what it would have been like if you walked in in 18 whatever yeah have you ever have you ever been out to the watermill center out in watermill no um, never it's, have uh, it's uh it's the robert wilson's site for creativity and it's his essential like his home i think um but even the way the building is laid out i believe it's an old like post office or sorting post office that he converted into his you know creative space and also his home but the, even the way that the um the 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 building and its structures are laid out like and the way that they planted you know the the sort of agriculture around like uh we were we were taking a tour of it some years ago and they're like so the the front of the building faces due east so the sun if you're at certain times a year or multiple times a year the sun will come up right through the center of there's like a strange like chasm cut through the middle of the building and like this, in, the sun will come up right through like so the way that even the building is laid out it has to do with like the way the earth spins and where we are in proximity to the universe it's really awesome I was like wow like this wasn't just like let's put some stuff around and make a beautiful place it was like the whole house and its structure and all of its existing surrounding foliage and, and other structures feel like they're speaking to the earth in some way. And they're like, it, this wasn't random that they were just put up this way. They're like, this is facing this way because of this. And then you'll see, and they were, they were literally, it was a few times where they're like, you'll see in about 10 minutes, the sun is going to come down and all of these windows will be flooded with light straight across because, you know, in order to, like, to maximize on the twilight hour and rehearsal. And that feels like a really creative hour. I think that sounds actually useful for what we're doing here. I was doing a lesson uh, last year about memorials. But I, was, I found myself showing the students um, some of the most, like, uh, sort of memorials that they wouldn't have seen. There was one in, I'm going to say it's like northern Norway. It has something to do with, like, I want to say, like, witch trials. It's this bizarre structure, long structure, like, out in northern Norway. It's very, there's a flame burning there eternally and a chair. I was like, if we were building the structure in this sort of circular roundabout, I mean, could it? Is, is 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 Thornton like a place that gets a lot of snow? Like if if the surface of it is, you know, reflective. I, I was like find myself like in you know the cold winter months. You walk past a building with high reflective surfaces, and the sun hits you, and you're like you feel it warm your face. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Could could the reflective surface of the structure itself like melt the snow in a pattern that actually makes the earth a work of art? You know, around yeah. it. And so oh, I don't, absolutely. You know, so I, I, I don't we know. Definitely how that would have work. that. Yeah. Yes. So definitely, like it's there's some coating with like strategic snow melting, yeah. <laughs> and there some sort of meaning. I'm not sure. I don't know either. What yeah. kind of design we would, but we we should think about it. Yeah. So we got we got 11 minutes okay, got 11 to. Minutes. Right now, it's not particularly fun what we're right. doing. Yeah. Like it's very like sort of dry yeah. and like here is like here are the plants a didn't the plants yeah. Uh, well yeah or just like a little just a little dry and yeah. sterile and like ah oh, yes this like <laughs> the sun warms your face and, <laughs> and there's the sign of the witch yeah. and we will you know <laughs> I do like this like history of crops I like this building the structures playing with different things um, you know I'm thinking about like Stonehenge yep here's a few more things this might help us a few more structures yeah, I think I got it the artwork should be designed in the round and be equally intriguing from all angles. 
Okay. The artwork must improve and not detract from the safety of the site. Sure. Okay. The artwork must not create a disorienting situation or cause a distraction for drivers. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. Uh, the artwork should be scaled to the attention of appro- approaching drivers, but should not be so detailed that it requires a close-up or extended I see. inspection. I see. So it's a driving thing. Mm, interesting. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Oh, my God. Oh. Wow. Okay. So, so I, it makes me think that... We cover a structure with plants, and we got four minutes. Right. Oh my god! Okay. So we got to think of a thing, and we got to come up with a name. Four minutes. It's funny. What's, what you're saying that reminds me of the um, the mountains that they built in Governor's Island. Have you okay. been there yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you know, with the slide, these like big yeah. man-made mountains yeah, with beautiful. slides and yeah, super fun. blocks, and you climb them and you can scale them in different ways. And it's it's funny because it's like such an idea of building mountains feels so foreign in yeah. terms of human achievement yet like they're so whimsical so like is there a bit of whimsy to be had in 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 the creation of whatever this structure is that it can be engaged with from all sides that is i do love mountains let's go with mountain yeah some sort of mountainous structure okay do you climb it to get a certain experience of the town like can you look back on the 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 town and see your whole town in a new way because of the elevation absolutely um I think there is a lot to play with in terms of this mountain thing. And I, I mean, we could, you know, we'll have to do it in a responsible height, right? Yes. right? So that, what is the thing? It, it can't like block. Block their view or deter drivers. It yeah. needs to be experienced from all sides. What if the structure somehow moved or spun slowly, like made a revolution? Oh, that's nice. Like, and, 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 and somehow each side of the mountain showcased a season, like, yeah. an agricultural season so yes. we're sort of I don't there's, that's nice we could go it's it's actually a big sort of rotunda in yes, a way absolutely and it, it, it actually spins in a circle absolutely and, you know, so I it's don't a know. spinning so okay so maybe um, like uh, title we got we got less than a minute okay. uh, so mountain revolution is one mountain revolution uh, uh, so that's 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 one title 24 at 128th uh, 24 hours, one spin at 128th Avenue. Uh, 24 and 128. 20, 24 at 128th. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Mount Day, Mount Turn, Mount, Mount Spin, Mount Swirl. Okay. Colorado State Model. Nothing without Providence. Interesting. Um, Cook Circle. Although that's interesting. Because um, that's the street. Yeah, it could be Cook Mountain. It could, it could. I could get there with that. Like, and maybe Cook Circle Mountain. Cook Circle Mountain. Cook Circle Mountain. Why not? Cook Circle. Why not? All right. Yeah. Cook Circle Mountain. Take it. Wonderful. Any uh, any final final thoughts? final sentiments from the, the zone of cozy, which is now yeah, since we've been sitting bumping. here, has become more robust. And, yeah. You know, the concept of a cozy zone, I find you know uh, so interesting because you know it can mean so many things. Or like I, I think of it as a creative zone, but I as oh, do I. Yeah. And over the years, have I, oh, I and I, I don't know if you think of it this way, and some people. A lot of people don't, but I, I find myself gravitating towards public places with a lot of activity. I don't know, maybe it's the din of the, of the sound or just catching little bits of people's conversation next to us or whatever. But there's something about, you know, being surrounded by life that mm. makes you feel like you're kind of in touch with it. I, I Every so often I do like to re, like retreat and be reclusive, you know, but... When the, when an idea is germinating, it does. It feels better. I, I always feel better being in a cozy zone that's 
somewhere amongst people. I don't oh, know wow. why. Yeah. I love. Yeah, I am not that way at all. I, I love to here. love to retreat. I love to be reclusive. I'm certainly like a, an introvert. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also, you know, it depends. I think what the thing is yeah. like. You know, there's something there's something powerful about like asserting that you know we're the guys with mics and headphones in this like <laughs> space. You know, like uh, you know, uh, trying to figure out some some art yeah. for Thornton, Colorado. Yeah, you know? totally. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, it feels uh, uh, dare I say it, punk rock. It does feel a little punk rock. It does yeah. feel a little. It feels very punk rock. Yeah. Subverting the idea of what one does in a cheese shop um, <laughs> in Manhattan, in, in a bar in Manhattan, nonetheless. Yes, it's amazing. Uh, Drew, I, I think you're an incredible artist. I'm really grateful. I'm so grateful to be here with you. And I, I know that you are an incredible artist as well. And I, and we have so many opportunities to work together coming yeah. up, which is amazing. I can't wait. I, uh, I can't wait for the upcoming uh, opportunities. And I'll, I'll see you uh, right after this. Bye. Bye. Hey, Victoria. Miss Steinbeck, I, I think um, you might have, might have uh, drifted uh, off there. Uh, so, so what do you think? So, so we came up with the the project Cook, Cook Circle, Circle Mountain. Cook Circle Mountain. Cook Circle Mountain. That I I think it sounds like a a beautiful thing. I I remember something about crops, which uh. I, I, I like crops. They, you know, in a similar family to berries. So, uh, I feel a kinship with that. Um, and I like, I like circles and, and spinning and, uh, I, I just, I, I feel so lucky to be able to, 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 to really dedicate these funds to you, but, uh, in, in the honor of, of Timmy, who's, who's just been such a, oh. a, a beautiful. Uh, so yeah, he, Timmy is no longer wearing a shirt. Oh. Yeah, no. Sometimes he likes to take it off to, to do his work. Uh, uh, he, of course, he feels you know more connected to the chi. Right. Yes. Yes, that that makes sense. Uh, opening opening uh, the channels. <laughs> uh, it, he's he's uh, oiled up. Um, no, it's it's all part of. Uh, I I think you'd find that that most most acupuncture masters would uh, would also be wearing the oil. So you so you're going to release the two point six two million dollars for Cook Circle Mountain. Take it. Uh, just, just. Thank you have so it. much, um, and Miss Steinbeck. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you, and, and thank you, Timmy. Oh, uh, yes, uh, thank you. He's wearing a very sort of skimpy. Uh, I wouldn't call it pants. I well, mean, it's I like an under you, underpants. Winter in New York now is is not what it used to be. Sure, it's of course. Warming. Yes. Um, I have one one final uh, ask, just just to consider. It's a, it's a small thing, but so. Uh, Cozy Zone, it's a podcast, and I, I've recently started a Patreon for it where you, you give uh, monthly donations of, of $5 uh, to become a Cozy Zone member, and that means you get uh, early access to episodes, you get access to exclusive member-only content, uh, and of course, uh, all of your donations go to, to supporting the artists featured in the podcast and the, all the production costs, everything that goes into it. So I was wondering, uh, uh, Ms. Steinbeck, would you become a Cozy Zone member of my Patreon? That's, that's so sweet, uh, but um, I, I actually don't, I don't, I, I don't deal in cash gifts. So, uh, I, uh, uh, I, I, oh, no, no, 
Um, what, what do you mean? Uh, I mean, I, I, like, I'm happy to, to donate my money to the arts and, uh, right. and, but, uh, I, I generally, um, when I like to, to give, I like to give in berries. So, uh, maybe, what do you mean? maybe I can, um, like, send, send a few berry bushels your oh, way. I think you'd, oh, okay. you'd enjoy them. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I do love berries. That would be nice. And you're sure you can't just do, it's, it's like that's $60 a year. It's just $5 a month. Uh, it's it's uh it's it's really not where my heart is it's like i like to give in berries but um okay uh yeah no uh, i uh but timmy i think uh maybe it's time to see the the gentleman uh ben benjo ben ben uh ben ben is, ben is fine can, maybe you can see ben out okay oh okay well uh miss steinbeck thank you so much for your time um thank you for your support uh and thank you for being a, a trustee of uh, the Cozy Zone uh, Foundation. Bye, bye. bye now. Okay, bye. Bye, bye, bye now. Oh, Timmy. We. Cozy Zone with Ben Weber is produced and edited by me, Ben Weber. Danny Townsend wrote our theme music. Johanna Campbell Case designed the logo. A big thank you to Drew Peterson, Beecher's Cheese Shop, and Johanna Campbell Case. Special thanks to Cozy Zone Foundation trustee, Ms. Victoria Steinbeck, even though she didn't join my Patreon. But you can. Visit www.patreon.com slash Projects. Follow me on Instagram at Projects and on the web at www.benweberprojects.com. Subscribe to Cozy Zone on Apple Podcasts or wherever you catch your pods like Stitcher or Spotify and write a review. It will feel so nice. Thank you so much for listening. May all your zones be cozy. A beautiful thing is cozy zone.